All right. Back with another episode of HR Unlocked. Um, and I usually say that I'm fired up for an episode, but that couldn't be more true today because we have, you probably know him as the fire guy. If you've seen the any of his content, uh, you know he's passionate about uh, branding himself and standing out. Jason Barnaby hopping on with us today. Jason, thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. And, you know, I was talking with somebody this morning and I said, uh, they they were asked me because it was an, a potentially a new client and one person knew me kind of well and the other person didn't know me at all. And she goes, she goes, just, you know, from an insurance standpoint, she said, I, I see on some of your videos that you actually do set stuff on fire. <laughs> she said, you're not going to do that. And our, I was like, Oh no. I said, I said, I did that once. And, uh, I got, I had to ask for forgiveness because I didn't ask for permission first. And I said, no. Only, only starting if, any fires. Right. Only if insurance allows, which most insurance companies are like, hell no, no open flames. No, no, no fires. Yep. No. no. Oh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to talk about burnout today. And, I, and I've done an episode on burnout, but more specifically, our executives and our, our leadership team, like, I feel like it's not talked about enough. No. And, you know, it's something that you know, there's a lot of groups out there where you can kind of be in a community and talk with people. But I feel like the executives, again, I feel like it's kind of left, they're left on their own. And so I wanted to, to get Jason on to talk about just that. Uh, if you could just open up for us, Jason, what's the trend around executive burnout? What to look for and give us your, your thoughts. Yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for having me on and asking me about my opinions. It's, it's always, uh, it's an honor to be able to share those kinds of things. So I'm always happy for the opportunity. So thank you. Um, you know what I, one of the things that I've definitely seen in my coaching practice, because I coach a lot of executives is that, um, these folks mm, struggle on a different level because they, because of their responsibility within the company, there's a couple of different components I would say that are happening because of their position in the company, just in general, it's a very lonely place to be. Um, and I hear that from my coaching clients a lot. Um, I, you know, I can't share this. You certainly can't share the same things with a coach that you would share with, or you can't share with your direct reports, what you would share with a coach. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, can't always share it with your peers because depending on where you are in the executive C-suite, uh, another thing I've realized is some of those folks feel like they have a target on their back that somebody else is waiting for that job to open up so that they can step into that. And so it's like, well, I can't be vulnerable with my peeps because um, then they know that I've got weaknesses. And as an executive, I can't have weaknesses. So what I would say at the beginning of all this is just a collection of myth and fallacy that, you know, I say this often, Brene Brown has made a bajillion dollars with this phrase. The story I'm telling myself in my head is right. And what I've learned in my now almost five years of coaching executives is I don't think any, I can't think of one. And I was thinking about it before I got on with you today. I don't think any of them don't have some sort of imposter syndrome. Um, 
somebody's going to ask the question that's going to show that I don't belong here. Somebody's going to uncover the thing that I don't know that's going to prove that this was all a big ruse and like that, you know, the gig is up basically. Mm -hmm. And so what I find is that because of this foundation of myth and fallacy that, that leaders think is true, they are working hard to cover all of that up. Right. And so you have to look like everything, you got it all together. That's, that's one piece. I am seeing more and more as mental health becomes something that we're talking about openly as therapy, as getting help, as being vulnerable, as admitting that you don't know, asking for help, all of these things that like leaders that I think about, like my parents kind of the old school corporate model, right? Like you get in the role and you do the thing and like you tell everybody what to do because you're the person in charge and you don't ever say that you don't know, even if you don't know. And um, what I encourage the folks that I coach to say is, or, or to embrace is saying, I don't know is, a, is actually a very empowering phrase. Um, that makes people bristle sometimes because, you know, they're like, well, but I, but I have to know. And I said, I said, okay, well, let's just do this. Let's think through your whole network of people that, you know, tell me the one person that, you know, in your network who knows everything. And of course there's no name because nobody knows, because nobody knows everything. And so, you know, I would say first and foremost, it's the, it's the believing that, that you have to know everything and that nobody else is dealing with the things that you're dealing with. Secondly, um, I would say it's, it is a suffering in silence. And so, um, I mean, I had a, I had a, a conversation two weeks ago with the CEO of a company. It was, it was actually our first meeting that we had and, um, they, we had met before, but this was a first face to face meeting and I was just asking them how things are going and you know, what's the temperature in the company and how are, you know, how are things working out? And Thomas, they completely broke down and just, I mean, and, and he, and, and here's the, uh, here's the thing that I want to make sure I say, if I get off topic, please bring me back. Um, so much of what they were dealing with was not work related. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's yep. the other, that's the other thing. They're like, well, I'm the, supposed to be the one holding the company together. I don't have time. I can't have capacity for like, I can't take my eye off the ball. I have to be always doing this thing. And I mean, this person, a good 50% of our conversation was all about these things that were happening around some in personal life, but things that they just didn't really even have control over. And <laughs> the other thing that I find often when we, and I have a lot of those kinds of conversations where there's just a breakdown, you know, of, I think what happens is there's, there's finally somebody in the room sitting across from you. Who's, who's locked in, who's listening, who's not involved in what you're doing, who's not affected by what you're doing. So there's less pressure, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's, I try really hard to create safe space. And I think I do a pretty good job based on the responses that I get. But I just find that people like once they finally have an opportunity to open up, it's like the 
the proverbial floodgates open and it's just like it's a torrent of like this 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 and so um what what i would say you know believing things that aren't true suffering in silence and then the third piece um because i i i i have come to believe that it takes a very strong leader to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And I have found, I've gone into some organizations where um, I've started asking some questions and I can tell from the moment I open my mouth and start asking the questions, people are like, we did. We thought we wanted you to come in, but if you're coming in and asking questions like that, then you're going to upset the apple cart. And we like status quo baby is where it's at. And we just want to, you know, as, as toxic as unproductive as you know whatever adjective you want to put in there that that is we're still going to hold that line um i have found that when leaders are willing to say i need help like i did two and a half years ago when i went into personal therapy Mm -hmm. terrifying I'd never been to a therapist before. What is, what are they going to ask me? How's it going to look? What's, you know, all the things and what I found, and my wife was a great advocate with this. She said, listen, you're going to find in your therapist, somebody who's always going to be on your team and always going to be on your side. And I was like, I don't know what that feels like. I, I just, I don't. And so that is, that is what I have found. And I have just, I've gotten to a point where I just, I say that a lot from the stage doing keynotes and things like that. And I forget sometimes that not everybody else is where I am. So I I say Mm -hmm. like, you know, I've been in therapy for two and a half years. This is usually the thing I say. I've been in therapy for two and a half years. My biggest regret is that I didn't start 20 years ago. And I can see people's faces kind of contort in the audience sometimes like, dude, you just said that out loud. Like, whoa. And so I think the other the other trend that I see is unfortunately folks not asking for help. There's still a stigma as much as there is a stigma for mental health just in general. I mean, I know at least I'm, I mean, my wife is getting a, a master's degree in mental health therapy. So like we're talking about it all the time. It's become very normal in my home and the people that we hang out with are in that group. But there is still a stigma and there is still a stigma in business that when you get a coach that it you've, you need, you need to be coached because you need to, you need to have the wrong things um, pulled out or corrected, or you get coaching because you're Mm -hmm. on your way out the door and it's kind of a last chance deal. And so a lot of people look at the coaching piece as that, like, well, then I'm admitting that like, there must be something wrong if I need a coach. Where I would say, I mean, if you look at like top professional athletes, they have strength coaches, they have, you know, mindfulness coaches, they have dietitians and stretch co. I mean, you've got they've got all kinds of coaches, and it's not because they're terrible; it's because they want to take it from where they are to the next level. And so, I would say, really, the biggest impediment to overcoming burnout. Um, is is really getting to that place where you ask for help. Um, one other thing I'll say when the 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 professionals say that 
there are three major signs to burnout that happen. And you may have talked about these on your other episode, but one is uh, way, way, way big reduction in energy, not quite depressed, mm -hmm. but probably right on the edge. Two is a cynicism that pervades everything. Like you just kind of become an Eeyore. Things are never going to be like, it doesn't matter what they're doing. The sky is going to fall. Like, why am I doing this? Life sucks. You just can't, you're, you're in a hole. Um, the way that I phrase it is that person has crawled into a hole and started decorating. They're just going to stay there. Um, the third is that you stop engaging in work. So you stop showing up for meetings, you miss deadlines, you, you're disengaging. Mm -hmm. And what the experts say is important to combat those three things is time with your people, which I talk about a ton, like who's in your tribe mm -hmm. and do you have people? Um, and I will, I'll be very transparent here. I go, I go dark when I'm stressed and my tribe thankfully knows like, Hey, we haven't heard from you in a while. It's, and they don't take it personally. It's like, well, Jason's not responding to me. It's like, Hey dude, you're probably stressed, huh? And I'm like, yeah, thanks for reaching out. Cause I'm not going to reach out. So time with your people, mental fitness and self care. And the problem that I would say the two biggest pieces that I see with execs is that you, you don't feel like you have people to, to go talk to, right? Cause nobody, and, and then some, sometimes because of the compensation that some of these folks are making, they don't feel like they have the right to complain because they're making several hundred thousand or millions sure. of dollars a year. Like, like who, like who's going to feel bad for me kind of thing. And then the other thing is they just, because they don't feel like they have other people to talk to, um, they just don't. And so I find if, if I can have a, if I can sit down and have a conversation, I have a couple of questions that I ask that get kind of get to the heart of the matter pretty quickly. And I've really yet to find an executive who says like, yeah, I got a, it's all nailed down. Like I'm good. Um, but I, I, find, I find the ones who like really have it nailed down exercise pretty regularly. Cause that helps with your you know, some sort, even if it's walking your dog, right? Exercise, meditation, yoga, something around journaling is a big thing. Um, they are, they do have a peer group. Sometimes it's one that they've paid and, but it's a place where they can be real. I, I just spoke a couple of weeks ago at the COO forum. This is a place where COOs come together and they can like, it's other people who have problems that are similar to your problems. So you suddenly go, Oh, I'm not the only one. And then they are, um, you know, they are, they are very intentional about those three buckets, the mental fitness, the self-care and, and seeing their people. But I would say those, those three things, just like the experts say, those are the things that will combat it. Those are also the three things that suffer when you have an exec who's, who's in burnout. And here's the other thing. Most of the time, Nobody in the organization has any idea because they feel like it's their responsibility to show up with a smile on their face, be the cheerleader. Everything's great. How you doing? Great. Awesome. You know, and then you get them behind closed doors and it's like the tears and the frustration and the feelings of unworthiness, the feelings of imposter syndrome, just like. Yeah, it's interesting because I definitely I understand where leaders are coming from. hundred percent. I've, you know, in a past life, I was responsible for a small team, but still a team. And I remember feeling like, yeah, I've got to be the rock. I've got to be perfect. I can't not know the answer. Right? I got to, right. I got to show up for these people. But then, you know, being on the other side as an employee, having a leader that I look up to, I promise you, if you get a little vulnerable and show that vulnerability, oh. that is just, I mean, from the employee side, 
it just creates a whole different relationship. And it's, it's just, it's amazing. Cause I've had leaders that have opened up and been vulnerable to me. And I appreciate that. Well, and you know, I, I agree. And I've had the same thing. And I would say, you know, using Firestarters language to me, like, you know, you're having the meeting, you're, it's the, it's the fireside chat and, you know, you can talk about the weather or your favorite song or how the kids or, you know, quarterly earnings. But like when you start getting vulnerable, it's like you've just toasted the perfect marshmallow for my s'more and you're like, and here it is. Yes. And let me give it to, and, and you're just like, you're amazing. And you just, you want to lean in and be with them and be present. And I used to tell people when I led a sales team, I told my sales folks, I said, listen, I don't care if you tell a client because we had tons of stuff that we were responsible for very highly regulated industry, similar to what you deal with. I would tell my people, I said, look, I don't care if you're on the phone with somebody and you say that you don't know once on that particular topic. Right. Mm -hmm. But then you tell them one, I'm going to follow up with you within 24 hours Two, you try your best to exceed that and hit it earlier than that. And three, you go like become an expert in that. So then you, you know that the next time, and by the way, you become an expert for our team, but saying, I don't know with follow-up and intention is an incredibly powerful thing. And I find, I mean, I don't know if you've worked for leaders like that, but we've, I've worked on some big teams where the leader goes, somebody asks a question, they go, that's a, it's a great question. Honestly, I haven't thought about that before. Anybody in the room have an answer? Cause I don't, I don't know. And we know that this person knows other things cause we've seen them do other things, but suddenly it's like, Oh, and then the pressure to know everything is off because your leader just admitted that they don't know everything. And guess what? Nobody laughed them out of the room. Nobody like called for their resignation. It just the opposite happens. But it's because you're under so much scrutiny and because we have we have decided that. And again, it's fallacy and myth, I think that that leadership is this, you know, you got to know all the answers. You can't ever ask for help. You can't ever show your vulnerable side. You can't ever be weak because that's that's what we've made it and that's what people believe then we you know i see leaders just absolutely wearing themselves out trying to live up to this expectation that is unattainable yeah and i feel like admitting that you don't know but then your your response to it going to get the information how quickly you respond to it that says a lot more about you than trying to cover something up right 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 and I would, you know, I would just say if, if there are, if there are executives or, or anybody, I mean, this, this goes for anybody, but I say, especially for executives, if, if they're listening to this, um, I mean, I, I talked to a guy last year, it, he was very vulnerable with me. We were talking about coaching and I said, you know, here's, here's what it would entail. Um, and he said to me at the end of the conversation, he said, I really want to think more about this. He said, because I've been doing things the way that I've always done them for my whole life and they've made me successful, but I know that I don't have all the answers and I know that there are better ways to do it. And in the same breath, right on this, the tail end of that, he said, but it's also terrifying because this is what I've always done. And, you know, I talk about getting comfortable yep. being uncomfortable. Um, and ultimately I believe, I mean, he blamed it on money. I'm not going to 
not going to do my pitch about why I think that wasn't true. I, but I don't. And I, I really think it came down to you're, you're going to ask me to do things that I've been afraid to do most of my life. And that's terrifying. And mm -hmm. to, to those people, I would say there are people like me. I, I know several coaches around the Indy area. Like we want, we are invested in your success. We are a confidential place for you to come and talk and, and we can help you work through those things. We're not therapists. I think there's, there's a, an element of therapy to that and being able to talk to people. Um, but you've, you have to get okay with the idea that you don't know. And for some people, that's just, I mean, they think that that's why they got to the place that they got to. And until that changes, I can talk to you about coaching all day long. It's not going to change. I know there's so much to, to talk about here, Jason, we could probably go for five hours on, right. the, on this stuff. Uh, but I'll put your contact information in the show notes awesome. for everybody, but give us just one, one or two things. If you're struggling, we talked about time with your people, mental fitness, self-care. Like if they're, if they feel a little sluggish and burn out a little bit, what's like one or two things like, Hey, let me start this tomorrow. That might turn that yep. around. So here I use the fire triangle. Um, I know surprising the fire triangle analogy. And so I would say literally put a triangle on a piece of paper. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of that triangle, write mental fitness, do this three times. So make one with mental fitness, one with self-care, one with time with your tribe. Okay. That, and then on each side of the triangle, put something easy, easy to do, right? Self-care. Yep. Drink, drink two glasses of water today. Don't tell yourself you're going to drink two gallons because you won't. So drink two, start small. And mm -hmm. we know that momentum begets momentum. So you draw those things out, put them on your fridge. So you see them every day. Yep. Okay. Um, make a script, take a picture of those three, put it on your phone. So you see those every day. The other thing that we don't do is we don't share these goals with other people. Uh, science says that when we write down a goal that it, it, we jump into the 80, 75 to 80% percentile likelihood that we're going to achieve that goal. When we write it down, when it's specific, that the likelihood jumps to 95% when we share it with somebody else and say, Hey, will you support me? Check in on me from time to time. Hey, how you doing with it? Like, how's your, and it's a text message, right? Did you, drink, did you drink your two glasses today? And, and this is the other thing that I say that is incredibly important. When you drink your two glasses today, literally do a little happy dance. Like do something in your body that says, I am acknowledging the fact that I have reached this thing. And then, you know, drink two glasses for a week. And then next week, say, I'm going to increase it to two and a half or three. Same with sleep, right? Don't say you're going to get 10 hours of sleep like that when you normally get four, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to like a little thing. I'm going to put my phone on the other side of the room or I'm going to, I'm going to set my sleep timer to say, get off your phone at 10 o'clock and I'm going to put it down. Um, but put three very specific actions on each side of those triangles and then, and then share it with somebody. And before you know it, the, the fire that's inside there will be hot will be burning. It's easy to keep it burning once it's burning. Um, and especially if you have other people to come around and add fuel and help you fan the flame. That's perfect. I love it. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Absolutely. And again, I'll put My your, pleasure. your information below and 
If anyone out there does not know Jason, get to know him. Fantastic the fire guy. guy. The fire guy. Yes, absolutely. But again, thanks, Thomas. I appreciate thanks, it. Jason. Talk soon. All right.